Thomas Glick, professor of history at Boston University, has made an extensive study of Darwin's reception round the globe. He maintains that Darwin's skills as a correspondent made him a supremely effective director of research, from a distance. He was dependent on other people's information, and so he created by mail a kind of virtual department of biology. So you know, he had people all around the world who were sending him information. Asa Gray, professor of botany at Harvard, was his American guy and also his biogeography guy, and he had other people. Englishman in India, for example, or Englishman in South Africa, but then he either knew personally or had close pistolary relationships with the leading zoologists and botanists in Europe. He was not just gathering information from around the world; he was also gathering actual specimen. One good example is uh, at the Zoological Museum at the University of Copenhagen. Not only did he locate that、uh, they had particularly interesting barnacles at their collection. He got information about it, but he also actually persuaded the people at the University of Copenhagen to send some of their barnacles to Darwin in Down House at a time when the postal system was even worse than it is today. He must have been an extremely charming man, and that he could persuade people to do things like that. Peter Kjærgaard. Associate Professor from the University of Aarhus in Denmark, and currently a visiting fellow at the University of Cambridge. Private persuasion is one thing, but how successful were Darwin's theories in winning public support? The main channel through which Darwin's ideas were initially spread was through books, wave upon wave of editions, translations, and popularizations of his work. During Darwin's lifetime. The origin of species was translated into eleven languages. Who translated them and how they were translated played a critical role in how the ideas were received. In France, for instance, Darwin's first translator was a woman, Clémence Royer, whose creative reworking added notions of inbuilt progress and a purposefulness to evolution that owed more to her compatriot, the naturalist Lamarck. Lamarck believed that characteristics acquired during an individual's lifetime could be inherited, and so lead to a gradual improvement in form and function. But whereas Darwin acknowledged that the environment could have an effect on organisms, he didn't accord any life force or future goal to living things. Nevertheless, by giving Darwin's ideas a Lamarckian twist, Clémence Royer. May well have facilitated their reception in a country otherwise resistant to Darwin's notions of struggle and natural selection. There were all kinds of French biologists who were evolutionists, or whose evolutionary notions were, in a sense, legitimized or justified by Darwin's book. So, when evolution is out in the open, then all these Lamarckians come out of the woodwork. He was never elected as a general member of the French Academy of Sciences because of Lamarckian opposition. Darwin did eventually sneak in through the back door of the French Academy. He was elected to the botanical section because few could argue with his skills as a botanist, even though they were distinctly cool about his evolutionary views. The grudging reception of Darwin's ideas in France contrasted with the enthusiastic response. From German naturalists, the zoologist Ernst Haeckel, for instance, became a great popularizer of Darwin. 
Thomas Glick argues that the demographic profile of the scientific community in both countries was a factor. The people who received Darwin favorably in Germany were young, had not reached the age of 40 in 1859. That's important because it was a very large generation of biologists. When you look at France, there's a whole generation that's missing. And so all you have there ready to uh, pronounce on Darwin were older people who were certainly not going to change the way they thought about the natural world or change their methodology. So there was a kind of a void of pro-Darwinians among the leadership of French natural history because they were set in their ways by virtue of age. Huxley once said famously that ideas don't win out because they are better than the ones they're replacing. You simply wait for the die-off of the older generation, and then the paradigm turns over naturally. There's obviously a great deal of truth in that. Popularizers of Darwin also had an impact on how Darwin was received in countries such as Denmark. One example of how Darwin's theories and Darwin's ideas were being appropriated and uh, travelled, if you like, from one country to another, from one context to another, is how Ernst Haeckel in Germany took up Darwin's ideas and how Darwin's ideas were used immediately in an atheistic context and in the discussion in Germany about science and religion, thus making Darwinism into something which was closely related to atheism. Scandinavian culture at the time was intimately linked to German culture. A lot of the discussions going on in Scandinavia was filtered through the reception in Germany in close connection to Ernst Haeckel's views and the discussion about evolution and atheism. That produced a rather negative response in some religious circles, making it difficult to handle the theory of evolution. It's also important to realise that while certain countries like France and Germany had a thriving tradition of natural history, others didn't. Who were the torchbearers for evolution there? In countries like that, Darwin was received by doctors. And in Catholic countries, doctors among the professionals were usually left of center in the 19th century. In Spain, one of the great conduits of biological Darwinism were departments of comparative anatomy because the books that were used, the textbooks in comparative anatomy presented the material in an evolutionary framework. So Gegenbauer, whose manual of comparative anatomy was already the leading textbook in Europe, after 1859, he rewrote the whole thing so that everything was arranged in phylogenetic series. That is, you began the study of each system, muscular, blood, nervous system. You began with the lower animals, and then you worked your way up through the uh, phylogenetic ladder until you got to human beings. So the doctors are really filling in, filling the void created by the lack of biologists, or if not the lack of biologists per se, the inability of naturalists in universities to get the message out about Darwinism because of governmental control. Certainly in some countries, the line between those sectors of society that were for Darwin versus those against him could be starkly drawn. Look at a place like Spain, which is unusual because there weren't many nuances in the reception of Darwin. You were either for it or against it. So basically, everybody left of center was for Darwinism, and everybody to the right of center was against it, on the grounds that it was not only contrary to biblical teachings, 
but also that it was destructive in the case of Spain of what Catholics regarded as their standard of morality. If survival of the fittest were true among humans, then that rendered the whole concept of charity to the poor invalid. But in the very process of articulating their views, opponents of Darwin effectively spread the word about him. If, as happened in many places, priests or ministers preached in sermons against Darwin from the pulpit, that has the effect of further spreading Darwin's name. It also promotes a stripped-down version of his ideas. The man on the street also hears about Darwin in a highly disarticulated form, so you get endless monkey jokes in the form of cartoons or in the form of epigrams passed around orally. So Darwin's name got around. After the publication of On the Origin of Species, and especially after the publication of uh, multiple translations into a lot of different languages, and thus the spread of Darwin's ideas to a larger audience, we find a range of different representations of Darwin. You had illustrators copying an image of Darwin from, for instance, a British newspaper or a German newspaper or a French newspaper. And now we find a multitude of Darwins, and he is being portrayed as anything from this gentle British naturalist to the devil himself. In the newspapers, including working-class newspapers, there were frequent news stories about Darwin or about Darwinism and frequent editorials. The editorials appeared at certain times that were particularly newsworthy, the publication of The Descent of Man, for example, or the death of Darwin in 1882. That was the occasion for every newspaper in Spain, for example, every newspaper, to take a final stand on Darwin and the meaning of, of his life. And there you get what you would expect. He's a great naturalist, to be sure. He's a working-class hero. He's opposed to uh, anything regressive. Or, if you're on the other side, he was the servant of the devil, although frequently Darwin himself was spared personal attacks because I think it was very well known that he was a great naturalist, whatever you thought of his ideas. 